where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Hi, welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. Thanks for joining us today. Have a real fun podcast or nerdy podcast for you today. I interview Max Williams, who is the point person for a new effort to modify Measure 110, which is, of course, the ballot measure that decriminalized hard drugs in the state of Oregon, among other things. Get into some of the nuts and bolts of what Max and his team are working on. I hope you enjoy listening to it. I learned a lot talking to Max. I hope you will, too. Enjoy the interview. And now I'd like to welcome to the Oregon Roundup podcast, Max Williams, who is surely one of the more accomplished folks in Oregon business and politics over the last couple of decades. He's a lawyer, a legislator, and ran the Oregon Department of Corrections for a period of time. And not long ago, wrapped up a stint as president and senior advisor of the Oregon Community Foundation. Max has been in the headlines recently for his efforts to change Measure 110, and that is why we have him on the podcast today. Max, thanks for coming. Yeah, happy to be here, Jeff. Thanks. What is it that you're working on right now relative to Measure 110? Sure. Well, I think it's important to you know sort of take a step back to where we were in 2019, which was sort of that pre-Measure 110 land, and then Measure 110, you know, sort of arrived on the ballot without a lot of opposition at a time, I think, frankly, when people were pretty focused elsewhere in their attention. And with a really intriguing premise, which is, you know, is there a better way to manage people with serious drug addiction other than, you know, jail and the criminal justice system, but to actually get people into treatment and recovery. And it was sort of pitched as an effort to get people into treatment and recovery. And I think the majority of Oregonians that voted in favor of it thought that was a good idea. It is a good idea, you know, using the cannabis money, the taxes off of the, you know, the marijuana proceeds to help people overcome their addiction, move into treatment and recovery. You know, that's an intriguing and appealing idea. Nobody, myself included, and I'm, you know, the guy who ran the prison system in this state for eight years, thinks that it makes any sense to lock up people whose sole problem is simply just an addiction-related issue. It's not a great use of criminal justice resources. And I think that was the part that intrigued people. I think that a couple of things happened, however, and uh, one was that we made this decision as a state to decriminalize these hard street drugs before any of the infrastructure was built. So for better or worse, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, the one bridge we had in place that was actually moving and motivating people into treatment and recovery pre-2019 was the criminal justice system, holding people accountable for possession of these drugs that then could move them with through drug courts and other strategies into treatment and recovery. By no means a perfect system, but it was really the only bridge that we had. And we blew that bridge up when we decided to decriminalize long before any of the infrastructure that was sort of presumed, I think, by most Oregonians to be in place or to be put in place actually had a chance to to have that happen. And so we ended up with these drugs decriminalized. I think lots of people didn't anticipate what would happen, which was, you know, sort of the open air drug markets that erupted. And about simultaneously, we had the arrival of a much stronger version of methamphetamine and fentanyl um, into the system. And And when I say, you know, people didn't anticipate it, I think that's probably true. I would tell you from my experience, people probably should have anticipated it. Uh, the answer is there's always going to be a new drug. I and mean, we can't make drug policy sort of one drug at a time. And so this idea that we were just going to decriminalize and that magically everybody would choose to want to go to treatment and recovery with no consequences associated with that just didn't happen. And, is it, and it isn't happening now. And so we see these high rates of um, overdoses an increase in overdose deaths, juveniles that are much more likely now to be exposed to fentanyl and all the rest. And with now very few tools available um, for law enforcement to be able to react and almost 
no real pathway to treatment. The idea that somebody is going to be motivated to get treatment because you've given them, you know, somewhere between a 40 to a $100 ticket that no one keeps track of, that isn't enforceable, that nobody collects, it just isn't a functioning approach. And so all of that is context for what we're trying to do in this reform of Measure 110. And I say reform because we don't want to repeal. Repeal would mean that we would open the cannabis dollar debate back up again. And I firmly believe that using those cannabis resources to help fund recovery and treatment is, is really valuable. So we don't want to reopen it. We just want to go back and say, let's rebuild a bridge that gets people motivated to want to seek treatment and recovery, that addresses the open air and public use of these hard street drugs and can better hold the people who are on the dealing side of this accountable in order to increase public safety and to do real harm reduction for those individuals who are currently being preyed upon um, by the people in these drug markets and to put some sanity back into our communities. So that's a long answer to your question about what we're doing, but that's the objective of what we're trying to work on. And we're trying to do it in two ways. The first is to get the legislature to agree to do it at the February short session. And if they're not going to do it in February to have a ballot measure ready to go that would readdress the impacts of Measure 110. Does your group have a name yet? Are you guys, have you guys adopted a name or a name for your effort or anything like that? You know, it sort of started out as a loose coalition. We're organizing right now under something called the Oregon Center for Policy Progress which is just a very generic name for sort of trying to get the coalition essentially structured. So that's that's our current name. I don't actually, we'll be filing a political action committee for the potential ballot measure uh, later in September, and that will also have a name. And I'm not sure what that is right now. Understood. So if I understand you correctly, you believe that the major breakdown or the major failure of Measure 110 is the fact that it has removed the kind of criminal justice system or reduced the impact of the criminal justice system as an entry point to recovery for people who are addicted to these hard drugs that have been decriminalized. Is that an accurate summary? Yeah, I think it is. And I will say that, you know, there are plenty of people who are addicted who in this state who never come in contact with the criminal justice system and ultimately because of friends and family and, and you know, employers and others find their way into some sort of treatment and recovery path. So, you know, this is not to say that everybody who has an addiction problem has to have the criminal justice system intervention. That That's just not the case. But there are people, particularly the ones that are sort of actively impacting sort of issues of safety and livability and community that are creating enough of a challenge that probably the criminal justice system is right now the only intervention that is going to help move them towards treatment. And our idea is not to go back to 2019. Our idea is to actually build a model that's better than 2019 to sort of leverage off of the benefits of Measure 110 and the increased dollars going into treatment and recovery and actually catch people early in these, you know, possession or public use crimes, these low level misdemeanors and use that as the accountability tool to want to move them forward into treatment and recovery. And if they're successful through that process or through supervision, like a DUI diversion, that that would be removed from their record and they would, and their record would be expunged. So that it's not about, you know, sort of stacking, you know, convictions of misdemeanors on their record in a way that will some way bog them down or make life more difficult. That's sort of the carrot that comes with the stick is that if you go through and successfully complete your supervision or you enter into treatment, uh, maybe even law enforcement assisted diversion at the very beginning. So you're not even being put into the criminal justice system. This doesn't turn into anything for you. You get to, you know, you get to go on and live your life. And there are some people who would suggest that this is, you know, sort of re-waging the war on drugs. And I I would just fundamentally um, disagree. I, I first point out that we never really waged a war on drugs in Oregon. When I was running the Department of Corrections, we had almost no one virtually no one in the system who is in prison as a result of drug possession. We haven't really done drug possession like that in Oregon since the early 1970s. 
The people who were in prison, many of them had an addiction, but the addiction had driven them to commit more serious person or property crimes that resulted ultimately in a felony conviction that got them into prison. So drugs was an important element of getting them into prison, but they weren't in prison for their drug-related offense. They were in prison because they had either assaulted someone or robbed someone or done something serious that had created a felony. And so if we really wanna not wage the war on drugs, we wanna intervene early with these people with small offenses at the very beginning that will help motivate them into treatment and recovery and then avoid letting their addiction spiral in a way that they commit a more serious crime, a felony crime that then can't be removed through expungement and diversion and actually does end up resulting in them serving a longer prison sentence. And the proponents of Measure 110 when it was first passed had nothing in the system that was designed to sort of help those people. And, you know, what we know about a certain segment of this population who's dealing with these kinds of addictions is that they are they are going to continue to spiral in their addiction in a way that will ultimately result in more serious criminal activity. And I think in most of the communities around Oregon that, you know, are dealing with this now, if you ask, you know, local law enforcement or the people who live and work in those neighborhoods, they would tell you the crime is actually on the increase. And these petty crimes, many of them are small, but some of them end up getting large and big. And people are going to jail and ultimately prison as a result of that. And so we're actually trying to intervene sooner to get more people on the right path to recovery so that they're not going to commit those crimes and end up in the prison system. I think for a lot of us who follow Measure 110 and the the overdose crisis in Oregon, kind of crime issues generally, it can be kind of confusing the interplay between Measure 110 and and what we actually see happening on the streets, especially in Portland, but it happens here in Bend and throughout the state to a lesser degree. And then and then it's further complicated by the fact that like the Redmond or Redmond, the Portland City Council is looking at, you know, punishing people for public use of hard drugs now. And they believe that they can do that despite the existence of 110 and whatever other legal hurdles exist for doing something like that. Is is there a way for you to describe what role Measure 110 plays in what we as news consumers throughout the state see happening in Portland with kind of the multiple overdose deaths in within an X square foot space in downtown Portland, kind of the takeover of whatever that building was with the, the fentanyl dealers. I mean, is there a way to tease out? I think it's really tough, Jeff. You know, these things all are intersecting. You know, Portland was dealing with a homeless crisis prior to the passage of Measure 110, right? And I worked a lot on that in my time at the Oregon Community Foundation. And there were a lot of really great people and a lot of organizations and a number of public officials that are, you know, desperately engaged in trying to address the homeless crisis. We have a serious behavioral health problem in Oregon, you know, to the point that I wouldn't even call it a behavioral health system. And that's not, you know, that's not a crisis that Measure 110 created. I think it's been exacerbated by Measure 110, uh, just like in some ways, I think some of the issues dealing with the dangerousness around the homeless camps has been exacerbated by Measure 110, but not created by Measure 110. So, you know, I'm enough of a policy wonk and and have spent my life thinking about these issues that I, you know, I, you cannot blame Measure 110. They are, it's not the boogeyman for every issue, but I think it has exacerbated issues when there's no real enforcement, that public use issue, because we've decriminalized. And so law enforcement isn't told that it's something that they need to address. Those things are going to proliferate in the community and it becomes, you know, I think we become a destination for people who want access to drugs in a way that they don't or won't be held responsible. So the decriminalization, I think, invites people who are looking for that. And, you know, there are certainly anecdotal examples of people who said they've come to Oregon because, you know, the drugs are you know easy to get and easy to use. 
I also think it's sort of signaled that we were open to business to the active cartel types. Now, that doesn't mean that other states and communities aren't being impacted by drug use. But when you look at, you know, even our overdose rates and their increase as compared to, say, Washington, our neighbor to the north, we've had, you know, disproportionate increase in our in our overdose rates as compared to Washington or compared to California, which I think is a suggestion that, yes, fentanyl is impacting everybody. And it is resulting in higher rates of overdose everywhere. But because we are allowing it to be sort of used in public and I mean, the legislature in the last session, the very last minute passed some stuff about, you know, you can pursue someone with more than a gram of fentanyl now in a way that, you know, was sort of an effort to address just a gap that existed in the law with respect to fentanyl broadly. Under that gram, you're still, you know, subject to sort of the measure 110. And the gram is a fair amount of fentanyl. There's still a lot of that use going on uh, that isn't being addressed. And I just think it's exacerbated um, these difficult situations. And our proposals around measure 110, the changes would like the legislature to make. I also want to make really clear that, you know, this is not a panacea. This is not going to solve immediately the homeless crisis, and it's not going to be an immediate resolution to, you know, 40 years of underinvestment in bad infrastructure in our behavioral health system. But I don't think because it can't fix everything, we don't actually move forward and try to address it. Otherwise, we're sort of throwing up our hands and we're caught in this sort of terrible death spiral. And certainly in communities that are seeing it, like the downtown area of Portland. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a former Bend guy. I was born and raised in Bend. My father still lives there. I'm in Bend pretty regularly. You know, I see the issues that, you know, that Bend has. And, you know, I talk to folks in Medford and other places in Eugene where this is, you know, an ongoing problem there. And so what we want to do is we want to give communities back the tools they need to be able to address this challenge in a thoughtful way, but in a way that actually can result in some accountability and a signal to, you know, the drug dealers and the community at large that, you know, we're not open to public use business here and we're not going to let you use homeless camps as a shield to run, you know, drug dealing on behalf of, you know, the cartels that are pumping these drugs into our community. You know, we've just got to get stronger about making that statement. And that's tough to do with Measure 110. As, you know, Mayor Wheeler found out, you know, you just can't, you just can't decide all of a sudden that as a city, you're going to do this differently when there's a state preemption that says you can't actually pursue those crimes. So I think what the city council is doing in Portland is signaling to the rest of the community and signaling to the legislature that they want the tools to be able to address this issue in their community. And that's part of what we're doing as well with our efforts around Measure 110. We'd, we'd prefer not to do a ballot measure. I'm not a fan of ballot measures. As a former legislator, I think it's a terrible way to make law. But we want the legislature to act. And if for some reason, because politics is challenging, they're unable to do so, we're confident that Oregonians are ready to address the what they see as the failure of Measure 110. I want to talk a little bit more about what it specifically you all are proposing to the legislature and ultimately to voters. Would it be a recriminalization of possession amounts of hard drugs? Would that be part of what you guys are pushing for? Yeah, yeah, that would be one element and probably a keystone element would be to to reconnect, you know, those misdemeanor charges for, you know, possession because we think that's the that's the way to start moving people early in the process before they've committed a more serious crime. We would also create the new misdemeanor crime of public use so that everybody had the availability to use that crime on a statewide basis as opposed to having to address it city by city and I think it's something that people are interested in. We would preserve, obviously, using the money from the cannabis dollars to support treatment and to support recovery. We'd probably open that up a little bit as well. I, a lot of Measure 110 money goes to just address harm reduction. And, you know, there's a lot of good science behind strategies for harm reduction. And, uh, you know, I think harm reduction makes sense. 
I think Narcan, for example, is a really important tool that people need to have because there are people who are addicted and they're going to overdose. And, you know, a family that's dealing with a family member who has this addiction should have the availability of Narcan. And, you know, Narcan should be available in public so we can resuscitate people and give them the opportunity to move towards treatment and recovery. But we also want to address the issues of community harm and community harm reduction and make sure that those tools are available. And, you know, I think Measure 110, again, was very much focused on the individual addict and didn't give a lot of thought to what the impact this would have on communities. And, you know, I've spent time talking to business owners and people living in neighborhoods and other places who have just said that, you know, by turning this thing open the way that we've done, it has had a really detrimental effect on their communities and on their businesses and on their ability to continue to do business. And, you know, the other thing we did that I think people didn't understand is all of the juvenile laws find their home in the adult criminal law. And so not only do we not have the ability to hold criminal addicts who are possessing these hard street drugs accountable, the juvenile system doesn't now have a basis to hold juveniles accountable for their possession of these same hard drugs. And so we completely have sort of opened the door for um, young people you know, below the age of 18 to also not have an accountability model relative to possession of and use of these hard drugs, which I don't think anybody in Oregon would think was a good idea. And it was maybe one of those unintended consequences with Measure 110. But the other component that we would be adding, Jeff, is this tiered approach on diversion. So it's not just about arresting them and putting them all in jail. It's about, you know, holding them accountable with this misdemeanor, but then also giving them a pathway into treatment and recovery that says, hey, if you go down this path, at the end, this misdemeanor thing completely disappears. You know, you don't even have to apply for it. It's automatically expunged from your record. It goes away with no action on your part if you're able to complete your treatment and supervision because we don't want you to walk around with that misdemeanor on your record if you've managed to move into recovery. And then the other element, we think that the Oregon Health Authority is already overburdened with a whole bunch of other responsibilities and that it wasn't probably the wisest thing to put the oversight of this under the Oregon Health Authority and the accountability Oh, I'm going to get it wrong. It's the OAC, I think is what it's called. It's the Oversight and Accountability Commission. commission. That, yep. Yeah, that Measure 110 created. We already have a commission in Oregon that is pre-existing called the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission. I used to actually be the co-chair of that commission when I ran the Department of Corrections. And so our proposal to the legislature is to reinvigorate uh, the ADPC, the Alcohol and Drug Policy Commission, shift the responsibility for managing the Measure 110 money um, over to the ADPC, let them be the grant-making entity. The members of that commission are appointed by the governor and actually raise the ADPC as sort of a, a center for excellence in addiction policy in Oregon and to really highlight uh, the role that it plays. And you can still have the OHA addiction person who's over addictions uh, from a health perspective, serve on that commission and be actively involved. But we think there's a different oversight model that would allow for greater transparency and to have it be their primary focus, as opposed to it being just a you know subsection focus of a million different things that the Oregon Health Authority has responsibility for. I guess when I've considered what Measure 110 dollars are going for, I've seen some stories about one nonprofit just stood up like a detox center near or in Portland. But knowing kind of how the thing was rolled out by OHA, which is to say late, and you know, there were some staffing issues with the way it was rolled out. Are you all contemplating any other like kind of changes to the the statutory structure for, or criteria, I guess, for making grants. You mentioned the, maybe not making it so focused on harm reduction, which makes sense because harm reduction is actually in the, in the ballot measure called out as a priority measure 110. That is it's in measure 110. Are you looking at kind of putting some more guidelines in place for spending that money? Cause frankly, I, 
not nearly as close to this as you are. My assumption is that a lot of the money being spent is probably not being spent particularly effectively right now. Well, a lot of it isn't necessarily going to real treatment, I think, would be one of the concerns that we have. So I think what we would want to do is to see that it requires that the it, under the ADPC's administration of these grants, that it be focused on evidence-informed and evidence-based strategies, right? And one of the other areas that Measure 110, and you can't use Measure 110 money currently, is on prevention, we think that prevention ought to be included. I mean, we ought to be stopping people from starting down this path to the extent that we can. And I know that there have been over the years, a lot of concerns about, you know, is there good prevention strategies? But again, if you require that the strategies for prevention, and we're not talking about, you know, going back to cops in the classroom under a DARE program that's been long proven to, to not be successful, but there are evidence-based prevention strategies. And we want to be able to use some of this Measure 110 money to also include prevention. And I'll be the first to say the cannabis dollars, there's actually a decline because of the, I don't follow the market particularly closely because it's not my thing. But I understand that, you know, there's, you know, the kind of a flood of cannabis on the market has driven the price down, which means the taxes on the cannabis are declining, which means there's less measure 110 in money going into this next cycle than there was the previous cycle, which certainly has providers and others worried. And I think this is another thing that the legislature is and should deal with is figuring out how to appropriately fund both prevention, treatment, and recovery strategies in Oregon. And again, we're not going to solve all of those problems by our fixing of Measure 110, but those are longer-term structural structural issues that Oregon needs to, to address. And that means, you know, probably reallocating some additional resources towards funding addiction, treatment, and recovery. Uh, you know, the, the opening of the detox center is uh, it's critical. We need more of them. But, you know, a 24-bed detox facility is awesome, but given the size of the problem that we've got in this state, it's not nearly enough. And, and we do need detox facilities. People can't just typically go right from the street and right into a treatment program. That's not going to work. It's not going to work for the treatment program, and it's not going to work for the individual. They need the opportunity to work through that, that detox, that respite period before they're ready to actually move in towards treatment. And so this is a whole systems-based challenge, but again, not addressing it with Measure 110 before we decriminalized was one of the great errors of this process, right? I mean, we should have, A, never probably done it through a ballot measure in the first place, and B, if we were gonna move to a plan of a Portugal-style model, we needed to invest in building a porches goal style infrastructure uh, before we pulled the trigger on decriminalization and we decriminalized first and then worried about what the infrastructure would need to be afterwards and i think that's got us to the point we're in today you all have been somewhat public about your efforts for a little while now have you heard from any legislators or talked to any legislators about what what you all are proposing and do you have any idea what their their reaction has been thus far well, I, yes, I, we have. We've talked to a handful of key legislators and are talking to more of them as we now have gotten past the Labor Day weekend and summer is over and people are starting to pay attention and the February session uh, now is starting to loom large. You know, I think this conversation that we've been having throughout the summer has activated some thinking and I know legislators are reaching out and wanting to better understand what we're thinking. I think a number of them are still nervous about this idea of reattaching these criminal penalties because it feels to some of them like a step backward. Our job is to try to convince them that it's a step forward and to also show them that they don't need to be worried that a majority of Oregonians, and you know, there's been some public polling that's been released in the last month or two. We'll be doing some release of polling mid-September probably as well that will, I think, send a clear signal that Oregonians are okay with this step, that they are not feeling like it's a step backwards. I think Oregonians feel like Measure 110 was a step backwards and they want to step forward and they're, they, you know, they want their communities back and they want to feel safe. I also think they're still incredibly compassionate about the, the challenges that people with addiction are facing. I've heard people use the phrase, Jeff, that, you know, Measure 110 was about meeting people with addiction where they are. And I think that's totally appropriate. 
We do need to meet them where they are, but we just can't leave them where they are. And unfortunately, too much of Measure 110, I think, has been leaving people where they were. I think that's what Oregonians are reacting to is that we just, you know, this just can't be a basic humanitarian crisis where we just leave people to sort of live with their addiction, use when they want to use, and then ultimately spiral in a way that is not only victimizing the individual with the addiction, but ultimately may result in victimizing, you know, people in parts of the community. Are you, in terms of the timing of how you guys are approaching this, short session in February, you said you're going to stand up the pack for the ballot measure. I think you said maybe later this month. Are you going to be running your signature collection effort kind of in advance of February to maximize your leverage with the legislature? How do you how do you see those com- two components proceeding? Well, you're asking a question that's probably slightly from a strategy standpoint above my pay grade, but but we will do the necessary work. You know, I'm sure from your experience, Jeff, and many Oregonians, we're all sort of We've been pummeled with ballot measures enough in this state over the years that most Oregonians are experts themselves to some degree in the ballot measure process. The process is that you, you know, you have to file the measure. You get a ballot title that is written not by you, but by the attorney general's office. Almost always those ballot titles are litigated by the by the proponents and the opponents. And so we're filing this all with the timing so that we can work through the legal process on the ballot title that we expect. So we have to get initial signatures to get that all done and then to have the ballot title process move itself through the courts with the plan that we wouldn't probably do the active signature gathering for the major part of the measures until after we gave the legislature a chance to act in February. And I'm still really maybe Pollyanna is too strong a word, but I'm I'm fairly confident that the legislature wants to address this issue. I think they're hearing from their constituents. I think they're seeing it with their own eyes. I think they recognize that the rollout of Measure 110 and some of the spiraling numbers with respect to overdoses and the public health issues are creating a need to do something more than just small adjustments to Measure 110. And I'm hopeful that that motivation will carry them into the February session and that they'll be able to act on something that will put some teeth into that bridge towards treatment and recovery and true up the parts of Measure 110 that need to be adjusted. But again, you know, I'm not a, I just want to make it really clear, this is not an effort to repeal. We're about fixing and improving Measure 110 in a way that gets us a better outcome than what we had in 2019 before Measure 110 passed. And so in many of the things that you'll hear the Measure 110 proponents talk about, I'm not in disagreement with them about. This is not about tearing down every, and there are plenty of providers who have received benefits through the funding on Measure 110 finally, like the detox center you mentioned, and some of the peer support organizations and other things that are really valuable in trying to help people move towards that recovery space. And, you know, I want to be supportive of those people who have reached out in the community and tried to step up the the tools that we need to be able to move people forward. And we would have needed to do that under any set of circumstances. And Measure 110 provided the cash flow of the cannabis dollars to be able to allow us to do that. So I'm going to be the last guy you're going to hear say that everything about Measure 110 was a broken failure. There were aspects of this measure that are really valuable. And to the extent we can capitalize on those and make this a better tool and help Oregonians both get safe and move towards recovery, we should all be about that. You know, you, of course, will have opponents. You have opponents to what you're trying to accomplish with regard to reforming Measure 110. There was this news, I think, yesterday in the Oregonian about the Health Justice Recovery Alliance, which is the kind of umbrella organization that supports Measure 110 and is trying to implement it in using their words, that HJRA is planning to take a number of legislators, other state officials to Portugal to see how their decriminalization has gone with the the belief that that is a model for Measure 110. As you pointed out earlier, there's a lot of questions as to how straight a comparison there is between Oregon's decriminalization and what Portugal has going on. What that signaled to me when I read that story is that there's going to be a lot of resources 
coming to bear to defend Measure 110 in something like its current state. What do you think about the attempt to take some of these guys over to Portugal and in general, what you expect to see in terms of opposition, both in the as you're talking to legislators and then uh, at the ballot box, if it gets there? Uh, you know, I expect that the the Drug Policy Alliance, who was the primary funder of the Measure 110 campaign, is probably not excited about the recriminalization piece. I think the I think their sort of center point to their effort was to decriminalize these hard drugs. And Oregon was sort of the Petri dish for that experiment. And if we were to make the decision as a state, either at the legislative level or through the ballot to reverse course and say, no, you know what, that didn't work for us. Um, We like parts of Measure 110 that are focused on getting resources to treatment and recovery, but we need that bridge and we want to go back to it. I think they would be likely in opposition to that. And they certainly have financial resources. As far as the trip to Portugal, you know, legislators have to decide for themselves if that's in their best interest. You know, there's nothing unethical about it. You know, you can be supported on a fact-finding trip. And I'm sure there are things to learn. As I said in the paper yesterday, I'm sure there are things to learn from, you know, a trip to Portugal. I also think there are probably things to learn from a trip to downtown Portland. And, you know, I'd encourage them all to spend an equal amount of time wandering around downtown Portland as they spend wandering around Portugal. And then finally, you know, and my quote wasn't fully included in the Oregonian article. I made the euphemism of, you know, that comparing us to Portugal is like comparing a couch to a motorcycle. That was included. The part that wasn't included was my follow on statement, which is you can sit on both of them, but they're wildly different things. Right. And, you know, we are just not we're just not Portugal. You know, Portugal has, you know, you know, like you would expect socialized universal health coverage in Portugal that we don't have in Oregon. You know, it has a completely different, and as a lawyer, Jeff, you know this, it has a civil law system that is different than our legal system. They have a completely different infrastructure about how they, and a completely different culture, frankly, about how they use, you know, sort of cultural influences to encourage people into treatment. And they don't tolerate public use in Portugal. And even Portugal, I think, if you read a recent, I think it was a Washington Post article, is revisiting its own approach on this issue. So it it appears that they're not completely convinced that it's working exactly as they had hoped. So I imagine the trip that the legislators will take to Portugal will be a very curated trip that will be primarily highlighting the things that the HGRA folks want them to see and experience while they're there. And, you know, I don't know what the agenda is, and I don't know if they're going to have contact with people who think that the current model in Portugal isn't working the way that they had hoped it would be. I would hope that they would reserve their judgment and consider sources and, you know, be thoughtful about that whole thing. And that can be a little bit more challenging when it's the you know, the old saying that, you know, you dance with the one that brung you, right? So, I mean, I think they just got to think that all through. But, you know, there's nothing unethical about it. And, you know, if they go, I hope they have a great time. And I do hope they learn things. We can all learn things from looking how other systems do. But I think the differences in the way our systems work in Oregon versus how those systems work, you know, in a European country that's part of the European Union and has all of those other things in place. We're just so different that I don't know that the comparisons really line up that well. And anybody who tells you that what we implemented was the Portugal model, I think really doesn't understand the Portugal model because what Measure 110 did and how what Measure 110 has been implemented is nothing like Portugal. And of course, you know, the argument is, well, we need more time, you know, we should, and, and my response is, well, let's just talk about how, why wasn't that thought about ahead of time? You know, wh- why did we decide to, the first thing out of the gate was to decriminalize, and then later we would worry about and claim that we needed more time. And in the meantime, you know, many, many people have died of overdoses. I mean, that seems like a really poor answer to a family who's lost their teenage son or daughter to overdose, that we just need more time to get this thing implemented. And that's the thing that I'd like the legislators to actually focus on is the actual human harm that is currently being done. And there are things we could do now to start to address that. And they won't happen overnight. 
But but the idea that we somehow need more time to let this thing spin out in order to get our Portugal-like model set up, I just think is a is a bit of a cop out. The whole we need more time thing. I remember so back in I think it was February of twenty one. I wrote a piece for National Review about how even at that point it looked pretty likely that Measure One Ten was not going well. In Oregon, at that point, a lot of people weren't talking about it from that perspective. There had been some coverage, basically the fact that it took so long to get the money out the door, but no one had really looked too closely at how the decriminalization was working, et cetera. And the response at that time was, we need more time. And the response now is, we need more time. And it would seem to me, just looked, looking at the publicly available polling I've seen, that Oregonians are pretty darn fed up with this thing. And, you know, you, you've been properly, I think, avoiding the repeal word uh, during the interview and during the other stuff you guys have done in public. But it seems to me like Oregonians, you know, they're fine with repeal, especially if repeal is limited to the decriminalization component. So whether you call it repeal or not, people are pretty fed up. I would have to think that legislators are reading the same stuff and seeing the same stuff. And especially if the approach is, Hey, we're going to leave the money in place. We're just going to eliminate the decriminalization, provide these kind of pathways to treatment diversion. It seems like kind of a no brainer to me. What am I missing there from a legislative well, standpoint? You know, the devil is always in the details. And, you know, I'm, again, being a, you know, kind of a focused policy guy, I, I, I also don't want to oversell that, you know, the day after the passage of Measure 110 amendments in the legislature or through the ballot measure, that all of a sudden, you know, the clouds will part and the sun will shine and life will be perfect again. All of these things are system driven and take time to address and implement. I want the legislature to address it in February in part because it gets us moving that much quicker yep. at trying to address this problem. If we wait till February to do it through the ballot measure and then the legislature has to fine tune whatever they need to fine tune budget wise or other in the 2025 session, you know, we're still, you know, we're still what two years out probably from seeing any of the benefits of these changes. And so that's the reason for moving sooner is that we're talking about real people and real lives trying to address all of that. And the sooner we do it. And and I think there's actually an important signal for Oregon that's kind of taken a hit. I mean, you know, I haven't seen Oregon on a, you know, in, in multiple week, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you know, all these articles that have been sort of coming out. I haven't seen us sort of in the headlines like that, maybe since I don't know, in 2020, when we had the ongoing protest situations, but but we, we've got some pretty serious brand damage, I think, nationally and internationally. And I think actually a thoughtful reevaluation of this, you know, where the legislature says, you know, we had a lot of good ideas and there were some positives about it and the parts that the public like, we're going to try to maintain and then we're going to try to fix something. I think that sends a responsible message about us as a state. Um, trying to get our house in order. And I think that's a very important thing beyond the borders of the state. But most importantly, it gets us started sooner rather than later in trying to help fewer people end up in these overdose situations. You know, more tools to address the illegal drug trade activities that are happening in communities. All of that, I think, is of great value. I think the rub is that, you know, it's an easy thing to say that we're going back to waging a war on drugs and, you know, the failed war on drugs trope. And I think you'll hear that from the people who don't want any changes to Measure 110 is that, you know, this is, you know, we, we failed in our drug war for, you know, 40 years. And I just want to remind people that we never fought a drug war in Oregon, that that's that's sort of nationalizing a message about, you know, federal law enforcement approaches to drug crimes and crack cocaine and all of that stuff that happened at the national level. Oregon hasn't fought a drug war. As I said, since 1972, we haven't been incarcerating people for possession of small amounts of any drugs for any significant periods of time. Yeah, we may have arrested people and put them under community supervision and had other strategies, but they weren't going to prison. So this idea that we've somehow filled up our prisons with low-level drug possessors 
is just not a true statement. And I think was a way to sort of take advantage of a national theme of over-incarceration as a way to get sort of political advantage in the way that that campaign was run. And so I hope Oregonians will take a step back and say that that's just not a true statement. But I think you'll hear that. And I think that makes legislators cautious because they don't want to look like they're wanting to re-engage the war on drugs in that same way. And so that's a concern, obviously, for, for legislators. And then secondly, the Oregon legislature is pretty progressive. You know, as a former legislator, I, you know, have a little bit of ability to speak to this issue. And and it's a it's a pretty progressive legislature elected, you know, with a lot of progressive, you know, from a lot of progressive districts with a lot of progressive campaign support. And, you know, they, you know, they're nervous about looking like they're somehow changing course when, you know, we are striving, at least at the legislative level, it appears to be sort of winning the award for most progressive. And so the idea of recriminalizing, you know, hard street drugs doesn't seem to fit that same flavor. And I think that's a concern as well, you know, how that plays. But I would tell you that, you know, the polling data that you've referenced and some that I've seen suggests that but for a very small, very small minority of Oregonians, the vast majority of Oregonians, you know, we went a bridge too far on this thing and it's time to to fix it. Yeah, I think that's that's my sense, too. And you've brought up a couple of times during this interview that there's a certain amount of signal sending that needs to occur. And it's not only Measure 110, it's it's homelessness, it's other issues related to drugs, it's crime, et cetera. And Oregon, in my opinion, desperately needs to change the narrative. And that sounds more trite than what I mean it to sound because it's not ultimately the narrative that matters so much, but it's kind of like when Rudy Giuliani and his, before he became crazy, when he helped save New York, you know, Hey, we're not going to tolerate this stuff anymore. And some of it was symbolic. Some of it was real, but he was able to change the trajectory of that city in a really positive way for a really long time. And Oregon is not New York city. We have our own issues. Rudy Giuliani is not available to, to lead us and wouldn't get elected if he were. It seems to me that there's a momentum that can be built up in an electorate that can try to tackle some of these problems that can can appear to be intractable. And in Measure 110, is just one of those signals we're sending out right now where, hey, if you want to do drugs, you want to do illegal drugs, you can do that legally in the state of Oregon. Is that the message we want to send to everyone else and to our own population in light of the problems that we're having right now? And I, I would argue it's not. And I think the electorate is there in rolling some of this stuff back when you see the Portland City Council moving to make it unlawful to use hard drugs in public. I mean, if the city of Portland's looking at rolling that stuff back, who's left, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. politically speaking in Oregon? Right. It, it, I think it's an indication of the polit how the politics have changed and just people are people want change in the direction that you guys are are trying to take it. So I I appreciate your guys' efforts in that regard. Well, I appreciate that, Jeff. And 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 we are trying to be, you know, I know it doesn't probably always seem that if you're in the legislature, but we're actually trying to be helpful here. You know, we're we're working on trying to build a coalition that is suggesting thoughtful approaches to change that would allow them, you know, because I recognize a short session is a short session. You're in, you're out. It's very limited. And so all the work on this needs to be done ahead of time so that they can get into the session and move uh, fairly expeditiously because uh, this won't be the only thing on theirs or Governor Kotek's agenda that they're going to need to address. But I think it's perhaps one of the, if not the most important thing that needs to be addressed. And again, uh, not a panacea. As I said, serious problems with our behavioral health system. I know the governor cares deeply about that and is focused on trying to address that. Serious challenges with you know the ongoing issues unrelated simply just to issues involving drugs with respect to the homelessness issue. But, you know, that's a that's sort of an interconnected triangle. Homelessness, behavioral health, drugs and addiction are all interrelated there. And, you know, I think you don't make the kind of progress you want to make 
on the behavioral health issue front or on the homelessness front if we can't get our hands around this issue on the drug front. And again, making adjustments to Measure 110 that can hold people to a standard that gets them motivated to seek treatment and recovery is an important element in addressing those other two key issues that are really struggling to cause our you know particular inner city and downtown communities to be able to both be safe and to thrive um, economically and for the people who live there. Fantastic. I know that my listenership and readership is intensely interested in your effort and any other efforts that may exist about getting rid of Measure 110 or changing Measure 110. Every time I write about it, they email me about, well, what's being done? What can be done? Do you guys have a website up or anything? We are, like we are where, in the process of, yeah, we're tipping up a website right now. That'll come out, I think, in the middle of the month with our launch. So we will connect with you and make sure that you can Great. share that website. We are, you know, we're we're asking people to sort of, if you're interested and you want to help and you're, you know, you're interested in moving this direction with respect to 110, you know, there'll be a place for you to kind of come and be a part of it and, you know, see what we're talking about. We'll publish our principles and sort of the versions of the legislation and other things that we're trying to move forward. So that'll all happen here relatively shortly. And I appreciate everybody's interest. I mean, I, I'm doing this primarily because, you know, I just, uh, it's, it's one of the things we can work on in a meaningful way that I think some of our challenges seem really difficult to address this one. There's actually a pathway through. And I think that's, one of the reasons I'm motivated. And I have a lot of confidence that given the opportunity, our legislators are going to want to do the right thing here and make the, make the necessary changes. Good. We could use some good news. I appreciate your efforts on this, Max. And thanks for your time today. We'd love to have you back on maybe as the uh, legislative session approaches in February to get an update on, on how things are going with your efforts. Thanks again for being on the podcast. You bet. My pleasure, Jeff. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. There's a lot of detail that goes into something like trying to modify something like Measure 110, and I think you got a sense of that from the interview. It can be a straightforward thing. It should be a straightforward thing, but you have to maneuver the politics in Salem to get to the point where it can actually be done. We'll keep close tabs on what Max's group and others are doing with regard to Measure 110, and I hope to have Max back on when we're closer to the the short session in February, where he hopes to convince a majority of Oregon legislators to modify uh, Measure 110 to remove the decriminalization component of it. I hope, again, that you enjoyed the podcast. look forward to talking to you again soon. This is Jeff Eager in the Oregon Roundup Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.